Welcome, everybody, to Cat's Cradle, the show within a show where we talk about the show and what goes into the show and what the show goes shows. This week, it's Kathleen's cradle. It's not my cradle. I'm all grown up. I'm a big girl with a big girl bed. <laughs> Am I younger than you? I forget. I think I must be. You must be. I must be. Everybody's younger than me. <laughs> Except, weirdly, Kirsten. I'm the oldest, I think, out of everyone. Well, that's not true. Nick's a million years old. Oh, okay. Well, that makes me feel maybe slightly less I mean, <laughs> Nick is a million years old in affect. I don't know if he's actually a million years old. Yeah, like on a spiritual level. <gasps> Let's use this episode to dunk on Nick. We're not using the entire episode <laughs> to dunk on Nick. Nick has worked himself into an early or late grave, depending on <laughs> Nick. <laughs> How old Nick actually is, yeah. It would be extremely unsporting, Kirsten. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I'm a big girl with a big girl bed, and the cradle is all Kathleen's this episode, and we're going to talk about how an episode of Sword of Symphonies comes together. Yeah. Hopefully this will be fun for people who don't know about putting together podcasts, and hopefully I that means that I can also talk on a level that is accessible to people who are not mired and deep within the like audio engineering realm which is a good thing that i've got you two here so that you can be like kathleen the fuck did you just say yeah this is true and i i promise you i will say this hopefully those of you who are doing a podcast or who would like to do a podcast will learn a little something from the process i know that this records very differently than the other podcast i do because for truth hidden among hearts we all gather around a yeti in eric's basement Sorry to say that out loud in front of you, Kathleen. <laughs> hey, uh, that is a way that people record things. And there is an energy for all being in the same space and doing the same thing rather than being various distances apart on separate microphones in separate rooms. That's true. The energy of my other podcast is fuckery. <laughs> Just sheer fuckery. But sort of symphonies... We're, with the exception of a recent episode, the one where uh, we shot a cannon and a bird, we're all in different places. We're scattered all across the continent. I normally record from my bedroom here in sunny Edmonton, Alberta. I've usually got a fancy teacup in front of me. Right now that fancy teacup is full of coffee residue. Don't worry about it. <laughs> and I record my end of the call. On my computer. Mm -hmm. What about you two? Yeah, so I'm doing kind of a similar setup. I have more expensive microphones and general audio equipment because it's what I do. So that's how it is. But it's sort of a similar situation. I'm in my studio. I am recording. And we are on Skype. What about you, fun size? Up until actually just today, where I was given a lovely snowball by Kat, I usually have sort of like those desk headset things that have like the microphone. And um, yeah, it's that's been my, my setup for now, uh, just like a laptop and that. But yeah, today I'm actually recording on a snowball. Feels pretty good. I'm, I'm liking that. Yeah, I think at point of fact, the episode where we shot the bird was your first time recording on a large diaphragm condenser, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I know there was a couple times where, because I wasn't used to recording on, at that type of system, 
it still was taking me some thought to actually like speak into the microphone properly as opposed to just it always being by my face. Right. Yeah. So I would be like looking at people and then being like, oh, yeah, no, no, got to direct to the microphone. So that was um, something that definitely felt a little bit different from having the, the headset. So we all record on our own end and everybody uses Audacity because it's got the most bang for the buck, that buck being zero. <laughs> but the reason we record is because Skype can't be trusted. Skype is both not trustworthy and Skype does a lot of mangling of the audio in order to keep the volume consistent, in order to uh, hopefully on their end reduce latencies, especially since Skype has its origins in doing voice over IP in like the friggin' 56 kilobyte era. Mm-hmm. Skype doesn't sound good, especially compared to what you can record with a real microphone in front of your face. Right. So a big bit of advice we've got is if you are recording remotely, you've got friends online you want to do a podcast with, by all means, use Skype for the call. Do not trust it to record your audio. Or Discord for that matter. Same thing. Well, it is easier for everybody to take their own recordings. Um, My other podcast editing is, and I don't do it, so I don't really have hands-on information, but it's a nightmare, partially because we're all four in the same room on the same mic, which means we're all in the same um, waveform. You're all in the same waveform. It becomes very difficult to edit crosstalk. It becomes very difficult to like deal with, uh, say, someone's making noise while someone else is talking. That all gets real problematic. So instead, if you're recording on separate sources, you can bring them all into a separate file later. You can remove... Say I am making chair sounds while Kat is narrating, or I am going on a coughing spree or something. No one has to hear that, and that's very nice. Yep. And I mean, it's not strictly necessary. Um, the boys, uh, Dustin and Mike, over at For Your Consideration, it's just the two of them sitting on a couch. And because it's the two of them, and they know each other fairly well, and they've been doing this for a long time, they've got a rhythm figured out. That makes it easier for Mike to edit than for Lisa to edit five fucking Jagoffs playing Invisible Sun. I guess I also come from a music background. So I'm used to a workflow where everything is recorded, close mic'd, and stitched together later out of multiple different takes. So I think this is also a level of comfort for me as an editor, having a bunch of different sound sources that I can then mess with to my heart's delight or rage or whatever emotions I have when I'm editing. (laughs) And that was actually about to be my next question. What's the next stage in this Mr. Rogers trip to the podcast factory? (laughs) What happens next? So essentially after we record, we get all of the files to me on my computer And I export a bunch of WAV files into Ableton Live, which is currently my DAW of choice. Um, DAW, by the way? Oh, Digital Audio Workstation, audio editing program. Yes, thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Ableton Live is my tool of choice right now. But before the episode proper starts, we will generally do a countdown and a sync clap so that I can make sure that all of the audio files start at the same place. And then I sort of start getting into it. All of the files for any of the Peach Garden games, sort of symphonies type stuff that I do go into 
a template that I've created for all of us. So each individual person has a small amount of sort of post-processing effects applied to them, some small equalization, a little bit of compression, a little bit removing of the hard S sounds that is done automatically that I have fine-tuned to each of our voices. Mm. And then I keep that in a template so that I don't have to do that new every time. And that's just to take out some of the biggest amount of grunt work that I would have to do. Since we are always recording on the same microphones and we are always the same people. So you've basically got like a Nick slot that's tuned to the way Nick talks and you just plug Nick's audio into it and it does the Nick filter. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, neat. I didn't know that. So does that mean that, yeah, I was just going to ask, does that mean that because I'm on the snowball now, it will change things a bit and you'll have to adjust it? Yeah, I'll just adjust it a little bit. And um, I think it'll sound nice. But that's the point of working from a template is that once I have the things that I like, I can save them back to the template and just be able to use that consistently going on forward. Okay. So everything gets slotted into its space in the template. So we're looking at like like four waveform ribbons, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, four separate tracks that all then go into what's called an audio bus. It's technically not a bus in Ableton, but in every other program it's a bus. Okay. And a bus you can think of as a sort of submix. All of the voice files go to this specific thing. And then so if I want to make any adjustments to all of everybody talking, I do them on that level. Oh. And once again, we're talking in terms of post-processing and automation and those sorts of things. So this would allow you to edit all four at once? Well, we're not really to editing yet. We're still kind of to vocal effects right now. Mm, Okay. So everyone has like all of their sort of individual post-processing. And then all of us are mixed together in this audio bus. So then that's where vocal compression is applied, which is a process that sort of squishes the highest volume elements to be closer to the lower volume elements. So things sound fairly consistent in terms of volume. I also do a small amount of sound shaping at that level. And this is in contrast to another bus that I have that will later take care of background music and sound effects and that sort of thing. Right. And then all of that is then fed into the master mix where the final volume shaping is done so that I can hit iTunes and YouTube and Spotify once we get on Spotify's uh, sort of demands for the overall loudness and dynamic range of a podcast. So that's the machine that all of these files get set into. And then we can talk about actually editing. Yes, 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 yes. Essentially what I do is I will be listening to the show and what I edit for is mostly removing things or nudging things around time-wise. The sort of philosophy that I am taking toward sort of symphonies is 
more like an audio drama than like a standard podcast. Oh, good. Because I, I love that. <laughs> like, I love... Yeah. And there are kind of a few reasons why I'm doing it the way that I'm doing. I want to preserve, yes, the sense of live play that we have and our dynamic that we have. But I also just aesthetically, mm-hmm. I like writing music. I like designing soundscapes. I like creating things that convey feeling, that sort of convey, if not verisimilitude, a little bit of a sense of place or a sense of an emotional place. Yeah. And you love Meet Space Guitars. Oh my goodness, yes. Okay. So when I am editing dialogue, I edit it a little bit tighter than it is when we are actually talking. I tend to remove most of the ums and word fillers. And the biggest thing that I sort of have to do is figure out a thing that happens sometimes when human beings are talking is that they don't know what they're going to say before (laughs) they start saying it. And you can often hear someone figuring out what they're trying to say halfway through the sentence. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do that all the time. Kirsten is very much the one who I do this the most for, but this is something <laughs> that happens for all of us. It's when I get like the case of the Shatners, where you can hear me, um, you can hear me narrating a scene, and I just have to pause between clauses <laughs> as I mentally describe this scene to myself and then relay it to everybody. <laughs> And, like, even though Kathleen has edited out my Shatners, you can still hear my Shatners. Mm-hmm. Well, if I take them entirely out, it becomes alien and bad in a different way. Yeah. And so it's just a slightly tighter Shatner. Hmm. Yeah. Here's something about human speech is that whenever we say something and we know what we're going to say next, our mouth is getting ready for the next thing we're going to say. So when words are spoken in a total vacuum without that lead in to the next word, you can hear that. It sounds alien. Which is why like the different voice activated devices, when they talk to you, that's why they sound so different. Like it doesn't. Yeah. So if you were to completely remove my gaps, the words would be abrupt and sharp and they wouldn't meld together into a sentence. Because they weren't together. Mm. Mm -hmm. There is also a cadence that most languages have, and it depends on the language. But most languages have some sort of pitch cadence throughout the course of a sentence. If you are removing bits of a sentence, that totally throws that off, too. Sometimes there's also a cadence of the sense of the volume rising and falling sort of the timbre of your voice changing over the course of a sentence. And so if you cut that off halfway or jam two things together, that can sound really strange too. Yeah. We joke a lot about Kathleen editing to make us sound smarter, but there's only so much she can do (laughs) without it going either uncanny valley or making us sound dumber. (laughs) We are imperfect people saying weird, dumb stuff sometimes, but people have to listen to it, and I would like it to be pleasant to listen to. Mm-hmm. And that's interesting, the, the thought of, like, uncanny valley of voice. I, I've never thought of that for a term for voice before, but 
I've learned a lot about like how phrasing is really shaped by human speech through this, which is I never really thought much before of. If you want to hear some examples of this going wrong, reality television is a really good place to be able to hear it. <laughs> because these are editors who have to deal with people who are not used to speaking to microphones or to camera. They have very, very tight timings that they have to hit. If you've got a 45-minute episode, your episode has to be exactly 45 minutes. You have to make everybody speak very efficiently. And that's not how people do, especially people who are not trained to talk, people who do not have lines in front of them. <laughs> okay. This is not the first time. Have Is this the first time I've brought up Knife or Death while we were recording? This is the first time we've brought it up while we're recording, yes. Yeah, like, look, it's on the History Channel, Forged in Fire, Knife or Death. It's basically a cross between Deadliest Warrior and Chopped. And um, if you listen with a close ear or with a trained ear, it is agony. I know this because Nick and I are just like, haha, look at the knife weirdos. And Kathleen is writhing on the floor, clutching her ears <laughs> and weeping. <laughs> absolutely. What are they doing wailing. to me? Yeah, uh, in, in genuine anguish. Like, how many times did I make you stop and go back to listen to a line so that I could speculate on what it sounded like before it got chopped up? <laughs> that happened a couple times. <laughs> I really like the unnecessary shing sounds that they <laughs> It's something that we don't think about, but if you watch shows like maybe that are cheaply produced or that are reality TV or that are really pumped out with an ear for the audio... You learn a lot, actually. Mm -hmm. It's interesting because it's not that I can pick out anything specifically, but you're talking about reality TV. And it's true that, like, I like to watch things where people look for houses. It's my guilty pleasure. I have lots of guilty pleasures. <laughs> you don't feel bad about any of them. <laughs> but yeah, you can tell the scenes where they are speaking normally, and then you can tell the scenes where they were told by someone, oh, They've been led, right? Like, it it sounds different because they're not trained speakers, mm -hmm. right? And it's, it's interesting because, again, I can't, I didn't really think of before why, but the more I watched these shows, the more I could kind of tell which parts were more led or more scripted. So, yeah. Hmm. And so here we are in an entirely improvised medium having to deal with that as an editor is about being able to read the flow of the conversation that we're having and being able to go back and listen to things a couple of times and think like, okay, how does this flow? What is the most necessary part here? How can I make it interesting to listen to? And hopefully most of the time I succeed with that. I mean, I like listening to it. <laughs> Me too. That's kind of my biggest task making sure conversations flow, making sure scenes flow, removing time where we spend thinking or removing sentences where we're just saying the same thing three times. Yeah. Removing 20 minutes of whale talk. Removing 20 minutes of whale talk. It was good stuff about whales, but... <laughs> the episode was already close to an hour. It was a long one. It was a big one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. 
And I guess that's the thing is I am editing toward a time target is I think that sort of symphonies should be around 55 minutes okay. is kind of my ideal length for an episode. And it obviously goes all over the place. I think our shortest one is like 45 or 48 minutes. The longest one is like an hour and 15 yeah. And that depends on how much happens and how good everything happening was and all sorts of other things. But I respect your time, listener, and only want to put you through minimal bullshit. <laughs> that makes one of us. I don't respect your time, listener. You got to respect your own time before you want me to respect it. <laughs> That's false. That's mean. We do a good job. We do a good job. And thank you for listening to us. <laughs> So, Kath, oh no, here's one thing that we learned on our trip, because we're all hanging out together in sunny, <laughs> sunny Portland. We made the mistake of asking Kathleen what our biggest vocal tics were. <laughs> I don't know about the rest of you, but I can't unhear it in my own speech now. Oh no. I'll be talking to a client at work and I'll be like, okay, so, fuck, I've done it again. So the next thing that happens, mm -hmm. you've made us sound as smart as you can without making us sound like aliens. Yeah. So then the other things that go into the show, I mean, I guess like since I've already got the levels set up, I've got everything edited in a coherent way. I could stop there. Definitely lots of shows do, but I do fancy myself, I don't know, some kind of artist. I don't know. I write music. I teach music. I want to write music for the show. I want to create sound spaces for the show. I want to have a little bit of that radio drama feel. Mm-hmm. Remember a million years ago when I had all of the voices mixed into the same place? Yeah, you put us all on the bus. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Beep, beep. Exactly. So there is the vocal bus. There is another bus that's made up of as many as five tracks, but generally only a couple that encompass background effects. Generally, my thought process is when we are in a scene, I would like there to be background sound. I want there to be the sound of the environment when we are indoors and people are talking have indoor people talking sounds. When we are outside, there is wind, there is ambient noise, there is rustling of leaves, there are crashing of waves, there are sounds of timbers groaning in the ship and sails fluttering. Seagulls. Mm. I think I started doing backgrounds because I had written some music and put them on a couple of scenes that I liked. And I was like, this sounds nice. It conveys the emotion I have. But now some of these other scenes feel a little bit empty with just the talking voices. Mm. And so I sort of looked through the stuff that was on my computer and went and got myself some more sound effects over the course and started having background noise as just a general thing to do a couple things, to help fill out the sounds, to give me something happening if I needed to scoot people's pacing around. And 
to generally give a sense of place and also give a, maybe a subtle sign to the listener that like, okay, we are in a scene now rather than like being table talked since none of us are voice actors. Sort of divide Kirsten from Penelope. A little bit. Yeah. Help that a little bit. And then there's music when there can be music. Yes. I like when that happens. Yeah. But I also mm. like when seagulls happen. Yeah. Yeah, I like some of the seagull sounds that I've got. Yeah, I mean, I think that's, that's the one sound that really always stands out to me when I hear it in the background of a Sword of Symphonies episode. It always makes me smile. I just, <laughs> where I grew up, there were a ton of seagulls. I like seagulls. <laughs> yeah. Will I still flip them off and call them names? Yeah, for sure. But I like them. Oh, of course. Yeah. <laughs> they're jerk birds. Yeah, they're jerks, but whatever. <laughs> What is your favorite piece that you've done for Sword of Symphonies? Like, you've done a lot of music. You've done some meat space music. You've done some digital music. You've done some dramatic battle hymns. You've done some kind of soft, thoughtful pieces. What's your favorite music that you've done for Sword of Symphony? Oof. One that you get a lot of use of is, is Penelope's uh, antics theme which I like a lot. Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> that, that galloping, uh, that galloping acoustic guitar. Is... <laughs> galloping acoustic guitar with the flute solo. That one's, that one was a lot of fun to write. Mm-hmm. And it's one that I thought came out really well. I love that one. <laughs> uh, one that hasn't shown up for a while, but I thought conveyed a mood really, really well is the uh, bass, the double bass duet that uh, happened on the ship and sort of in the first arc. Um, didn't that also show up in uh, in Penelope's arc, too? I think it did a little bit. I think I found a space for it. I remember there being a duet of bases. I think when you were talking to Penelope's dad, I re-listened to that episode recently, that whole arc recently. So that's why it's... Yeah, I think I know the one you're talking about, and it really does stand out. Like, it's, uh... It's weird, but not in, like, a jarring way. Mm-hmm. In, like, a really interesting way that I like a lot. Yeah. Well, and the one that I've probably played with the most is this strings and marimba thing that has had a bunch of variations that started with the chord that Tissa and Cobb did in the very first fight that we had in, what was that, episode three? With uh, Broadside. Yeah. And then variations on that uh, little chord progression with the marimba found their way into the spell that Tissa cast for the Radiant Prince, and then Westbreaker, the conversation about all of the rangers' relationships with their Daleths. Mm. And then later in the capstone of Tissa's character arc was sort of this canvas that I put a couple of different melodies and a couple of different arrangements on that I've spent a lot of time with and like a bunch. Mm. I really love the marimba. Yeah, I think the the notion that all the characters have an instrument or a motif, um, the marimba for Atissa, still probably one of my favorite choices. I love that. Mm-hmm. 
that and the really jazzy music that the dirtbags get. Oh, the dirtbag fight was a lot of fun to record. I, I need to queue up dirtbag battle again because that's that's a good jam right there. <laughs> I love dirtbag battle. The dirtbag battle actually can bring me to saying something is a lot of the music on Sword of Symphonies is, if not improvised, just a couple of passes past improvisation. I don't have a ton of time to go through a full process of scoring the way that I might do if this were a feature-length film. Because we are releasing something new every week, there are only so many hours for me to write something. And so that's another one of the reasons that most of the arrangements are fairly tight, not a whole ton of instruments, fairly chord and harmony driven, not always melodic, but often very in service of mood and scene. Is that something that I can write effectively quickly? Another thing to bear in mind is that unlike somebody scoring a motion picture, Kathleen doesn't know what's going to happen because Kathleen's a participant in this story, (laughs) which means, well, our lead time means that Kathleen is aware of some of the beats. The entire um, scope of my artistry, (laughs) she says as if she plans, but whatever, is still a fog of war, still lost in the future. It is. I guess that would really kind of change how someone would have to approach something when they might not necessarily have the full picture of how a story is going to go, right? Mm -hmm. And so that makes it easier to play with moods and chord progressions and motifs to some degree than to be able to do a full, immaculately planned Howard Shore kind of thing. Right. The themes in the Lord of the Rings movies do not just have themes. They The themes have character arcs. Like, the Shire theme the Hob, like for the Hobbits goes through changes over the course of their journey and mm-hmm. like ends up being a different thing by the end. Yeah, it does. And I can do some of that because I can take the same idea and mess with it in a different way in a later week, but I can't plan it out quite the same way because I don't know where the story is going to end up. Right. Right, right, right. And then, so Kathleen has added the soundscape. Kathleen has put together the music. Kathleen has put us on the bus. Beep, beep. Mm -hmm. What happens next? Well, basically, it's just small amounts of tweaking. I tend to do some technical stuff to the sound effects with the stereo spacing. Sometimes I will have the vocal bus attenuate, reduce in volume the sound effects bus. Mm -hmm. I also do this podcast in stereo, which is not something that's particularly standard to podcasts. And sometimes I use the stereo field really well. Sometimes I don't as well as I might. So one thing that I always do with the stereo field, and this is a slightly subtle effect, but I generally have the voices in the dead center of the stereo field and have music and backgrounds pushed off to the sides, to the left and right a little bit, and also use something called mid-side EQ to remove from the background 
some of the key frequencies that are in voice so that even if the music is up loud enough that you can hear it or the background effects are up loud enough that you can hear them, that the voice will always come through clearly without fighting for space. And this is a thing that I do that's not always super podcasty, is I like to have the volume up loud sometimes for music. I want you to be able to follow the music as well as follow the voices or even be able to do both or either. Mm. But I don't want one to drown out the other one all of the time. And this could partially be because, hey, I spent some time on this and I want to show it off. Mm -hmm. But I think it's also a little bit my aesthetic as a music producer. When you are doing like pop music, the whole point is you can hear everything, all of this, this giant soundscape. And if you listen carefully, you can follow all of it. Mm. The vocals will pop out. The bass drum will pop out. And it'll do the same thing on sort of symphonies. Like the vocals are always the loudest thing. They're always the thing in the dead center that you can always hear them. But you can follow the goats in the background or the crazy 7-4 guitar piece in the fight or whatever. And I don't know if that's self-indulgent. I don't know if there are some people that would rather the voices always take the forefront, but that's a little bit my personal aesthetic. All right. We tweak the levels. We make sure everything is popping. We make sure everybody sounds both smart and clear, but mostly clear. What's the next step? What do we do next? Is this the part where we send it to Cat? This is about the part where it sends to Cat. So I export the file as a wave, convert the wave into an MP3, add MP3 metadata, and then send it to Cat. Mm-hmm. And then what Cat does is Cat uploads it to, I mean, archive.org. It's free. That's like that's that's what I do. And then puts it up on the Squarespace, which usually involves typing up my intro, which often is the first time I've had to do that. And there's lots of cursing, giving things a title, putting names on stuff, getting it up on the website. And what's on the website, it's automatically in the RSS feed. So your podcast app says, hey, ding, there's a new sort of symphony. Do you want to listen to it? And you say, yeah. Yeah. And thank you for doing that. Yeah, thank you for doing that. As you can tell from listening to today's Kathleen's Cradle, there's a lot of love that goes into sort of symphonies, and uh, yeah. it's our love for you guys. So I uh, thanks, thanks for for listening to it. Yeah, we have a lot of fun doing it, and that's essentially my hope for you, the listener, is that you can have fun listening to it too. Yeah, and we hope you do, because we like you. Hey, no, we like you. I know you're we do you're right now thinking oh these these strangers don't know me but like we like you and you're worth liking you're pretty cool the coolest no but for real like Kat and Kirsten are super personable if you meet them in the real world they will probably like you oh yeah we like everybody oh you can't see it because radio but I'm making a heart right now Kirsten <laughs> Coming out there and I'm kicking your ass. Yeah. <laughs> you can do that because so. This is true. Kirsten's visiting me. I am. So. I'm 
the threats can be followed through yeah. very easily. Look, <laughs> audience, I'm an anime character who genuinely believed that everything can be solved with the power of love. So, <laughs> like, <laughs> um, that's... Can anybody see the rails? I think we're... we're for- <laughs> no, we've left them a long time ago. I'm looking around. I can't find them. They were right here. Where the <laughs> fuck did I put our rails, you guys? <laughs> That's the thing about trains, though, is they just keep going. Yep. They don't need rails. They just... Hey, listener, if you know where the rails are, would you please contact <laughs> us at Peach Garden Games on Twitter or at peachgardengames.com? Peach Garden RPGs on Twitter. But yeah, have you seen our rails? If you have, <laughs> please let us know. <laughs> we would like to find them. <laughs> All right, we've said a lot of thank yous already, so I won't belabor the point. Good night, listener. Good night. Bye. We love you. Bye.